knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp, and Angela is still sitting in for Ashley. And today we have a very, very special guest. This is an episode we are very excited about, something we've been wanting to do for a while. And we have with us Dewey Roberts, who is the pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Destin, Florida. And he also has written quite the book on federal vision. And so that's what we're going to talk to him about today, because he is really one of the experts on the on the topic. Before we get into what federal vision is, Pastor, can would you um, explain how you started studying it and how you were involved in federal vision in the PCA? You know, my involvement in this goes all the way back to my days in seminary, where we had Professor Greg Bonson, who was our professor in my senior year of seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson. And he had obviously been influenced by people like Rusus, J. Rush Dooney, uh, and Norman Shepard from Westminster Theological Seminary, and other people. But he had a new book out. And there were things that developed over time through that relationship, but I didn't really focus on the errors and the heresies involved in this movement until the early 2000s. Then I began to be aware of statements that people were making, people that I knew very well, uh, and they were talking about things that were contrary to the gospel. And so there were at the time, I was serving on the Standing Judicial Commission of the Presbyterian Church in America, which was at the General Assembly level for that commission. And so there were some cases that came before us where we had to deal with some of these issues. And it just so happened that in God's providence that I had to be the prosecutor of Louisiana Presbytery concerning their protection of a man, Steve Wilkins, who was 
one of my best friends in seminary. Uh, and uh, it's that was the second time only in Presbyterian church history where the General Assembly uh, brought charges against a presbytery. Uh, and that's of all Presbyterian denominations in the U.S. Uh, and so that was an interesting time. But through my association on the SJC, the Standing Judicial Commission, I was involved in other cases like the Peter Lightheart case. So then I was I was the chairman of a panel that had to hear the first case concerning Peter Lightheart that came before the SJC in 2009. Then I represented the complainant in the second case uh, in 2013. Uh, and I think that both of those cases were either not decided as thoroughly as they should have been or decided wrongly. Uh, not on the part, not on my part as far as what I was doing as a chairman, but the whole commission when they got the report and then they decided what they were going to do with it. So out of that, Colleen, I decided that I needed to write a book and there were some people who encouraged me on this and that's, and I went to work at that point in time and I worked hard. Actually, I had begun about 2011 when I started work on the complaint from Pacific Northwest against Pacific Northwest Presbytery. And then it took me five years to do the work that I did, but I wanted to unravel this theological issue that seems so confusing to most people. So that's how I got involved. And it, that's why we're doing this podcast, because we get questions constantly. What is federal vision? And there's so much to it. I don't know if I fully grasp all of it, but um, right. I'm going to recommend people go and get your book because you really deal with it very thoroughly there. Uh, could you just talk about the history of federal vision? Because I, I know there's, we call it federal vision now, but throughout church history, there's been similar types of things. Yes, the federal vision is the latest edition of legalism. Uh, legalism has cropped up throughout all the way back into the Old Testament, uh, because that's the basic uh, preset position of every person in the world is that they believe that they can be saved on the basis of either some good work that they do or some ceremony that they're involved in. Uh, and those are the two primary forms of legalism, particularly in the scripture. It is salvation by moral works of righteousness and that's condemned by the scripture. Salvation by ceremonial works of righteousness, that is also condemned. For instance, Jesus condemned the rich young ruler uh, for his uh, effort to, he, he, rather he spoke against the effort in a very kind of subtle way, but he brought the rich young ruler to realize that he could not be saved on the basis of some good thing that he wanted to do. And by the same token, the scripture speaks against ceremonial righteousness. But those two forms go all the way back into the 
Old Testament. One of the interesting things that I found as I researched this is that I went to India on a mission trip in 2014. And while I was there, before this book came out, and I actually had to edit some things on the beginning of it in order to incorporate this, but while I was there, I was speaking to people who had become Christians out of Hinduism. And one of the pastors there told me, said, you cannot imagine how much what you're talking about on the federal vision relates to Hinduism. And so that piqued my interest and I decided I would do some more research on it. And I found out that what we call Phariseeism is something that goes all the way back to Hinduism, which the Jews picked up when they were off in captivity in uh, Babylon and Assyria. Uh, And Hindu thought had permeated that part of the world. And the people came back and adopted those principles. uh, And they, therefore, brought that into the Old Testament church and then into the New Testament church. And so down through the ages, this legalism of Pharisaism, moral works of righteousness as a hope of salvation, ceremonial works of righteousness as a hope of salvation, has cropped up in Roman Catholicism, uh, in various movements both before and after the Protestant Reformation. Uh, And you find it in various branches of the church so that there are those two traditions, pure Christianity and then the deluded Christianity that tries to combine works salvation. Pastor, can you tell us a little bit about the recent history of where Federal Vision came from? Yes, uh, that's a great question. But the history of the Federal Vision began probably with Westminster Theological Seminary. But along with that, you have people like Russus John Rush Dooney, uh, who were doing the same kind of thing. But Norman Shepard was one of the professors at Westminster Theological Seminary who began this movement that was called Shepherdism. And one of his students was Craig Bonson, whom I mentioned earlier, and I studied under him. But Norman Shepard, and there are differences outwardly between some of these things of uh, the views of Norman Shepard, the views of uh, Rush Dooney, uh, the views of N.T. Wright and the new perspectives on Paul movement and other things like that. But what I found as I researched things is that they agree completely on the doctrines of what we call soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. I found no difference between them. The differences are all peripheral. But when you get to the core of the matter, they're all the same. My acquaintance with this began under Greg Bonson, who was teaching theonomy in Christian ethics at Reformed Theological Seminary in 75, 76, then 76, 77, and over into 78. And I think he was uh, fired at that point from RTS. But the federal vision is really trying to do to the doctrine of the covenant what they were trying to do to society because theonomy thought that they were going to reform society by this 
implementation of all of the laws of the Old Testament and set up something similar to a Jewish theocracy in America. And of course that failed. But the federal vision is attempting to do that same thing to the doctrine of the covenant. That is that if they can enforce this, they don't understand it as legalism, but that's what it is. This legalism upon the doctrine of the covenant and this belief that once you are baptized, you have everything that Christ is going to give you. And so therefore it's up to you to muster up the strength and the grace uh, and the effort to follow through on that and to be faithful. Uh, the same kind of thing that was under theonomy where it was a forced effort uh, to make people comply with the law. You, you can't, there are certain laws that you can enforce on society, but, and you can help things along, but you can't root out all sins from the heart simply by enforcing a law upon people. Uh, we still have racism in this country today, despite all of our efforts to get rid of that. And we have other things as well. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I don't know if I've answered thoroughly, Angela, what you were asking there. You might have wanted some of the people also involved in it, right? Yeah. And you mentioned um, that you were involved in trying the Louisiana Presbytery. Maybe you can tell our listeners about um, Auburn Avenue and, um, yeah, some of the players. Okay, Steve Wilkins, as I said, he was probably my closest friend when I was in seminary. And he went to Monroe, Louisiana, and he began to teach this Auburn Avenue theology, this federal vision theology, because why they have some differences, as I've come to understand it, is for this reason. That is because they don't have a system that they can really line up completely with the scripture. And so therefore they're always having to tweak it. Uh, therefore Auburn Avenue theology is tweaked a little bit, maybe in a way that some other people that are in the federal vision haven't yet tweaked theirs or it's tweaked in some things where the new perspectives has not been tweaked. But as I said earlier, they, all, when you get down to it, deny the basic doctrines of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Uh, they are contrary to the Reformed position at every point on soteriology. Even when they say that they agree with it, they end up then denying it in other places. But Steve Wilkins was one of the players in that. And, of course, he had this pastor's conference in Monroe, Louisiana, and most of the people who were involved in this movement would go to that conference. Doug Wilson, Peter Lightheart. I think that they had N.T. Wright to speak there on various occasions. Uh, and the people from all over the country would come to Monroe, Louisiana in January, and they would be involved in this conference. Uh, and it began to spread. Sadly, Angela, while I feel like that I know more about the spread of the federal vision throughout the church today than just about anybody else around. I am finding out things every day. I found out some disturbing things yesterday about people in the PCA who go over to uh, Russia and other places and teach at seminaries that are 
conducted by these people in the Federal Vision Heresy. Uh, and mm -hmm. those individuals have supposed great standing uh, in the Presbyterian Church in America, but yet there's a lot of association all across the board. And it's because nobody wants to call legalism as a heresy, mm -hmm. but it is. Uh, and so therefore they don't want to call the federal vision a heresy. Well, I'm really glad so far you have said that um, federal vision is contrary to every important doctrine in the Christian faith. You shared your book with us. It's Historic Christianity and the Federal Vision for our listeners, and I highly recommend this is an extremely thorough treatment and just a really damning treatment of these doctrines. And so it's about 400 pages. So I'm about to ask you if you can give us a kind of a definition of what federal vision is. And I know that that is going to be tough because it's, it's a, a very, very big set of doctrines. But if you can try, give us um, a brief definition of what federal vision is for our listeners who aren't familiar. Okay, the federal vision. Federal is a term that has been used concerning covenant theology, the doctrine that God has made a gracious covenant to be our God with us. And so when they called their movement federal vision, and that's their term that they gave to themselves, but that is, they're saying we have a new vision of what federal or covenant theology should be. Uh, and so they came up with this new vision. And what it does is it incorporates those two aspects of legalism into the doctrine of the covenant and makes it depend upon, first of all, the ceremony, uh, ceremonial righteousness, the ceremony of baptism, and then uh, you stay in the covenant through your own faithfulness, and that's works salvation. You get in through the ceremony of baptism, you stay in through your own faithful efforts, uh, and so they thereby deny the grace of God in the gospel in bringing us into the covenant and keeping us in the covenant. And that's how it is a denial of the gospel. One of the things you said earlier, and I didn't want to forget to ask this, you, you had talked about legalism. And one of the ladies that wrote in with questions said, um, but I know Federal Vision people and they don't seem legalistic. How would you respond to that? You know, the interesting thing is that, and I point this out in my book, that legalism and antinomianism, though they seem to be on two different uh, ends of the spectrum, are actually very close together. Uh, and I, I know what she's talking about because a lot of the people who are uh, federal vision are very antinomian in their lifestyles. And antinomianism is, uh, the anti means against uh, legalism. Uh, nomos is the Greek word for legal or law. And so you have legalism on one end of the spectrum, antinomianism on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, the interesting thing is that those two things are never very far from one another in reality. Uh, and I have various theologians that I've quoted to this effect, and I give examples in the book. But the fact of the matter is that People who are antinomians, antinomians can be the most legalistic people in many respects, and particularly when it comes to condemning others. 
for not mm-hmm. falling into their particular ideas. And on the other hand, legalistic people can be very antinomian in their lifestyles. And what I think that this lady probably misses is that they may not be legalistic in their lifestyles, but where their legalism is, is that they think that uh, they are saved on the basis of this ceremonial righteousness, that baptism does all of these things. And I have quotes from so many of them in my book, which showed that very idea that's in their system. And then the other thing is the matter of works uh, that do this. And and so many of them will say that in the end, we're going to be judged and we're going to get into heaven on the basis of the totality of our lives. So while they may be on the one hand, people who are antinomian in their lifestyles, uh, they're very legalistic in their theological positions. But the two things are just never very far apart, as though it may seem they would be complete opposites. One of the things that I run into, and you were talking about that there's differences between the proponents of federal vision, and it's sometimes difficult to pin them down, you know, where you you have a specific definition of federal vision and you'll have proponents of federal vision who say, oh, but I don't hold to this part of it over here. And I, I would like you to expound a little bit more on that. What are some of the differences between federal vision proponents? You know, I hear a lot of times where they say that there are differences between them and then they will object to certain things. I think that a lot of that is simply because their position is so inconsistent and anti-scriptural that they are always conflicted. A lot of these guys came out of uh, reformed theological backgrounds. And so they have those ideas floating around in their heads, and they know that that's what they should believe. Uh, And so then when somebody makes a statement that seems over the top to them, they say, well, I don't know if I go that far. But when I looked at their actual positions that they had taken, I didn't come up with any areas where one was disagreeing with another. Uh, That was the interesting thing. Even Doug Wilson, who likes to say, well, I don't agree with everything about it. When you start looking at the positions he stated in so many different places, he lines up right with them on Mm. every errant part of their uh, view of salvation. Uh, So I think that a lot of it is simply because they are conflicted. And that's why they're so hard to pin down. And that's why I went into such a detail to go through chapter by chapter and show what they said on this particular thing. Now, if they have a problem with that, what they need to do is to change their views. You know, but they don't need to say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then come out and announce it to the world that you are no longer taking the view that you have put in writing before. And and not what Doug Wilson did and say he's just not going to use the label anymore. Right. We see that objection uh, put out um, quite a lot. Oh, see here where Doug Wilson wrote that he's not federal vision anymore. But if you read the meat of what he says, he says that he still holds to all of the, his theological positions. He just doesn't like to be called federal vision. Well, yes. <laughs> hey, yeah, and I want to comment on that. 
too, because the it's interesting that when I represented Jerry Hedman in his complaint against Pacific Northwest Presbytery, which ended up going to the Standing Judicial Commission and being heard by the full commission instead of just a panel of three or four from the commission, but it was heard by the whole commission. After the SJC made an atrocious decision uh, in not ruling the federal vision as heresy, uh, Doug Wilson came out in 2013 and said, this proves that the federal vision is now an acceptable theological position within the PCA, and this debate is over with now, and we can all move on. Uh, mm. Two years later, I came out, or three years later, I came out with my book on uh, historic Christianity and the federal vision. And a year, less than a year after my book came out, Doug Wilson was saying, I don't want to be called federal vision anymore. Well, they gave themselves <laughs> that term. But I know for a fact that many, many people surrounding Doug Wilson, I don't know if he ever read my book, but I'm quite sure he read some of my articles that were printed on the Aquila Report and in other places. But I know for a fact that people surrounding him had various relatives who bought my book and bought an extra book to give to their relatives. And so he was very familiar with everything. And then suddenly he's moved though there's, no, there's been no action of the PCA to move him that direction, suddenly he's moved into a position where he says, I don't want to be called Federal Vision anymore. Uh, so I think that it's because he can't, he knows that it, my book has, has narrowed the argument down to pointing out that the Federal Vision is heresy. I'm not in a discussion with the Federal Vision. I'm calling it out as heresy. And so I don't think he wants to be called a heretic is that is why he no longer wants to be called federal vision because he knows that he can't combat it. I would be happy for somebody in the federal vision to try to refute what I've said, because then they're going to have to take issue with the people in their camps that I have quoted. Uh, and so they can't do that. Hmm. You know what, you, you brought up the word heresy, and this is a question that comes in quite a bit. Is Federal Vision a heresy? And obviously you believe it is. Can you explain why it is a heresy? Well, let me say this. I'm not going to say today that I think that every person in the Federal Vision is uh, a heretic bound for hell. I'm not going to say that I believe that any of these leaders are in that camp because I can't make a judgment of them. Uh, there are various degrees and shades of heresy, but of course the, the basic thing is that the heresy is outside of that which is uh, approved theolog theology from the scripture, that is from some document like the Westminster Confession of Faith or the great creeds of the Christian church. What I did in my book was that I went through and I showed there is a stream of historic Christianity that runs all the way from the New Testament forward. And you have witnesses to it in both uh, periods of time before the Reformation and after the Reformation. And then on the other hand, you have 
heretical positions concerning it, both before the Reformation and after the Reformation. And therefore, what I would say is that their heresy is that their positions are outside of the great body of historic Christianity, uh, the truths of historic Christianity, which have been believed from the Apostle Paul forward, uh, from Jesus Christ forward, and from the Old Testament forward. Their views are outside of that, uh, and therefore their views are heretical, particularly on the doctrines of salvation. I love how in your book you come right out and tell us right up front in chapter one that the federal vision is a problem because it is an attack on the gospel. I've got a quote um, from your book that I'd like to read. You tell us in your book, the federal vision represents a full-scale frontal attack against all the essential doctrines of the gospel that is disguised as an attempt to improve the Reformed faith. I think that relates a little bit to what we were just talking about with the uh, the word heresy, and, and we know that some of the name park denominations have actually called it a heresy, and um, so we're saying here that it's very, very serious because it directly undermines the gospel. Yes, it does, and it, that's why I have approached the book the way that I did. I, my original idea was to have some preliminary chapters and de- then deal simply with soteriology, uh, the doctrine of salvation. Uh, and there were a couple of things that I pulled out of uh, the section that I would have had just for soteriology, uh, and I was going to go through it in the biblical model of of God's way of salvation mm-hmm. uh, and uh, His eternal predestination, His calling, et cetera, et cetera, uh, all the way to glorification. But I pulled out a couple of chapters, regeneration and grace, because I felt like that they were so important and it showed the errors there. But when you go through each one of these points of soteriology, you find that the federal vision theology is diametrically opposite to the Reformed faith at every single point. Uh, Mm -hmm. They deny unconditional election. they try to say unconditional election and conditional election are not far, very far apart, and you can have both of them. But there's not a single one of the men in the federal vision who have ever written a book on God's unconditional election. What they've done is that they have said that every person who is baptized is a, an elect child of God and becomes elect when he is baptized. Well, that makes it very conditional. It makes it very Mm -hmm. time-centered instead of being before the foundation of the world. When you go through every single point, they they take that approach. They're always on the opposite side of Reformed theology and, indeed, historic Christianity. You are sort of already answering our next question. We've got a question about federal vision folks claiming their theology is reformed and consistent with the confessions. And so they're asking where are they inconsistent with historic confessional reform theology? And and you're saying basically at every point. Yes, they are inconsistent on regeneration. And I want to talk about that in just Mm -hmm. a moment. They're inconsistent on the doctrine of grace and what they mean by grace. They have a 
definition of grace that is very fuzzy. In fact, you can't pin them down on what they mean. But one thing they never say is grace is the grace of God in the gospel. Mm. They don't say that. They define it in various other ways uh, and uh, very nebulous and indefinite. Uh, They are wrong on justification by faith alone, which they deny. They are wrong on the perseverance of the saints because they make it a matter, a work of man rather than a work of God uh, in perseverance. They are wrong on assurance of salvation. They are wrong on regeneration. Uh, They are wrong on election, as I've said. They are wrong on adoption and what it means to be adopted in the family of God. They are wrong on, uh, they distort the final judgment to be a final justification. Uh, And the confession of faith never calls the final judgment a final justification. Mm -hmm. The idea is that that you're not fully, completely, and finally justified until God then makes a survey of all of the works that you've done in your life and then says, okay, you've done enough. You can come in. Your life is uh, good enough. And so that's their doctrine of final justification. So at every single point, they are contrary to the Reformed faith and the confessions. You know, I I quoted at the beginning of my book from Gerhardus Voss, as he said that one of the most dangerous things that would ever happen to the church would be if the this idea of the magical efficacy of the sacraments uh, and the Pelagian ideas associated with it were applied to the doctrine of the covenant. Uh, And he spoke that in the early 1900s. And here, a a century later, we see the development of this movement, which has uh, done great damage to all the Reformed denominations. It has made inroads into the PCA, the OPC, the EPC, Uh, the ARP, uh, and the CRC, and any Reformed denomination you want to speak of. Uh, And so it has become a terrible heresy which is destroying the churches from the pure preaching of the gospel. I'm I'm wondering something. There, I had read something by, by somebody... I believe in the PCA and sounded very federal vision, but said, I'm not federal vision. Do you run into that where people embrace aspects of it, but they don't embrace the label? Well, nobody wants to really be called by the label anymore. Doug Wilson is the primary example of that. (laughs) So they, they're running as hard and fast away from the term that they gave to themselves as they can. Uh, But there are, Lots of people who are at various uh, points down the road of federal vision theology. Uh, Maybe they just began their journey and they've adopted some of these ideas. Maybe they're further down the road uh, and they've adopted other parts of it. Uh, So that's something that is a great concern. So, yes, there are people who may be influenced and they don't even know yet but they have been influenced. Uh, And that's why someone had to sound the alarm 
the one thing that distressed me when I began to find out about this is that I found that people who had spoken or written books about this issue had kind of backed off from calling it what it is, heresy. And so they would make one statement at the end of their book that kind of tended in that direction. Uh, but that was all they would say about it. Well, I know from church history that you never defeat a heresy until you call it for what it is. Uh, and so, as I told someone, when I wrote the book, I said, I want to prove in each chapter that this is a heresy. So that if a person only read that chapter, they would be convicted that the federal vision was heretical. You're talking about how federal vision doctrine has made inroads in to all of the reformed denominations in various ways. Um, we do have a question here asking if you believe the PCA has become a safe haven for federal vision. Absolutely. Uh, I think that, uh, well, I know for a fact that there are several presbyteries where you can hold to those views and nobody's going to do anything about it. Uh, there are there are other presbyteries that I felt like, well, surely someone who did that would not be uh, safe in that particular presbytery. I found out yesterday about a presbytery in the South that is a, uh, a very, has been historically a very strong presbytery, and they have a man now who is working alongside of this fellow, Blake Purcell, in. St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, and Blake Purcell works very closely with James Jordan and uh, with other people in the Federal Vision, and he himself is in the CREC, the Confederation of Reformed Evangelical Churches, uh, the denomination started by Doug Wilson. And so this was in a presbytery that I would not have expected it. Uh, and I think things have reached the point where People are afraid to even bring a case up to the denomination anymore because they feel like that it won't accomplish anything. Uh, and so I think that the, I know that there are people in the PCA who are sympathetic to it and who are willing to accept it. And so, yes, I think it's very much a safe haven uh, for people in the PCA today. And and by at the same time, I don't think a lot's being done about it in some other denominations either. Mm. You mentioned as we were talking a few minutes ago um, that you wanted to come back to regeneration. I wonder if we can back up and talk a little bit about some of the some of the key historic Christian doctrines and, and maybe let's start with regeneration and and talk about each of them and how we differ. Yes. You know, regeneration is one that kind of stood out in my mind as I began to read things. One of the things that you have to understand about the Federal Vision is that uh, a lot of the people in the Federal Vision don't like to use the word regeneration, or if they do use it, they, they use regeneration only to apply to God's regeneration that he's going to do at the last day in making this earth into the new earth is it's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's the regeneration of all things. Uh, and they, they deny personal regeneration. 
there was a joint federal vision profession that they came up with in which they denied uh, the whole matter of regeneration. And this is what they say in that. Uh, They say another difference is whether or not personal regeneration represents a change of nature in the person so regenerated. And let's just stop at that sentence. The question of whether regeneration represents a change of nature in the person regenerated. Well, regeneration is a change of nature. You know, we are regenerated. And so their whole question, their whole perspective on that is skewed to begin with. But then they say, some of us say yes, while others question whether we actually have such an essence that can be changed. And I go through that chapter. I felt like that was so very important because you can't understand many any of the other theological positions that the federal vision holds to unless you realize that the, from the very beginning, they allow for the denial of personal regeneration. Uh, some of their federal mm-hmm. proponents, like, like uh, James Jordan, simply scoff uh, at the whole matter of personal regeneration. Uh, and so that affects everything else. Therefore, when they talk about being elect, they're not talking about an election wherein God has determined that he's going to call us, he's going to regenerate us, he's going to give us saving faith, he's going to adopt us into his eternal family, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit who will never be taken away from us, he's going to give us assurance of salvation, he's going to give us the grace of perseverance so that even if we turn away from him, as Jeremiah says, that he will not turn away from us, uh, and then he will glorify us. So without regeneration, what they believe is that all of those other points of salvation that I just mentioned there become temporary unless Mm. you yourself have the ability to persevere. Uh, And therefore, when they say that person who is baptized has a new life, as Peter Lightheart likes to speak of it, they're not talking about what you and I understand to be new life. That is, Old things have passed away. All things have become new because the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts and made us new. What they're talking about uh, is that we are formerly and formally and outwardly uh, different in the respect that once we were not members of the visible church and now we are members of the visible church. But this also helps me to answer a question that that uh, I think it was Angela asked me earlier from someone, and that was about uh, the inconsistencies in the federal vision. When you try to pin them down, and I go through this in my book and show it in many places, they will say, well, we believe in that which is formal and outward. And then you try to pin them down on, okay, well, then formal and outward. You don't believe in informal and inward then, do you? Oh, well, no, we don't want to deny that. And so they, they're con- continuously conflicted and can't find any resting spot for their theology because it is a theology that is in flux. I've got a quote for our listeners about this regeneration topic. This was 
very shocking to me when I was reading your book because to me, regeneration is so, I mean, not just me, this is a classic historic Christianity. It's the linchpin. Every, just like you said, everything flows from that. And so um, coming up on uh, a theology where they either say there's no such thing or it's not a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit or that it's just an extraneous doctrine was very shocking to me. Um, this is a quote of um, James Jordan, who's a federal visionist. He says, my thesis is that there is no such thing as regeneration in the sense in which Reformed theology since Dort has spoken of it. The Bible says nothing about a permanent change in the hearts of those elected to heaven. And so it, it really is the truth that there's flat-out denial of basic doctrines going on here. Angela, think about that for a moment. If you are not regenerated in the sense that the canons of Dort the Westminster Confession of Faith and great Reformed creeds have defined it consistently and rightly according to the Scripture teaching. If you're not regenerated, then how are you saved? Yeah, the only choice is by my own works. That's it. You know, and that's where the federal vision ends up. Despite all their supposed learning, I found. People ask me along the way, they said, how can these guys believe this? And I have said repeatedly to people, I don't know whether they are just very, very poor theologians or whether they are intentionally trying to deceive other people. That is, I don't know whether they are themselves deceived or they're trying to deceive others intentionally. And I think it's probably just some of both of them. But one thing I can say is that these guys in the Federal Vision are not good theologians, or they would not hold the inconsistent positions they do. You mentioned final justification yes. earlier. Can you talk about that and how they're, how this idea is contrary to our confessions and historic Reformed theology? Well, we believe that in the doctrine of justification by faith alone, a doctrine that I found that the Federal Vision people, when they do speak about this, they like to say justification by faith and then redefine faith in terms of faithfulness. Uh, and so then it becomes justification by faithfulness or justification by faithfulness alone. Uh, and so they have a different idea. Uh, it, it completely turns it around because it makes it instead of trusting in Christ and his works, that is, we are trusting in our works. We are justified by our faithfulness rather than by the faithfulness of Christ and his works for us. Uh, and so they do a subtle change on the doctrine of faith uh, and make it into something that it is not. Uh, and you see that in all of their writings on the doctrine of imputation, which I deal with in the book, uh, imputation meaning that God imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ uh, that we do not deserve and did not earn, but he gives it to us. And so you see that they object strenuously to any idea that what Christ did in his personal life is put to our account. And I have various quotes of that. And, and so therefore, 
they don't believe that once a person has been, if you don't believe in regeneration, you don't believe that there has been a, uh, a change in time and space that has completely affected and changed this individual. And so therefore, you don't believe that faith, uh, because of that regeneration, can be placed in the Lord Jesus Christ and that his works are transferred to us and we are saved once for all time thereafter. They deny the, the fact that when we believe, we are saved forever. Uh, and so therefore, that's going to affect their doctrine of apostasy, their doctrine of assurance of salvation, their doctrine of perseverance. So what they believe is that, and you find N.T. Wright believes this, Norman Shepard believes the same thing, the Federal Vision people believe it. They believe that justification, what we call justification by faith alone, is just a temporary thing and is preliminary. It might prove not to be true. It might prove only to be a preliminary judgment that then at the final judgment, uh, God ratifies and says, okay, yes, you have continued uh, and you have persevered and therefore you are able to be saved and to be brought into my heaven. Uh, so their emphasis really is on final justification. What we call saving faith and justification by faith alone when we believe in Christ, to them, that's kind of almost neither here nor there. The only thing that really counts is this final justification, which they say is going to be on the basis of our works and the totality of our lives. And so they deny the gospel at that point, one of the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. I just saw a conversation on Twitter recently where one of the Twitter Federal Vision guys said, we believe in justification by faith alone. And what I've seen so often is they'll say, we, we believe in these things. They'll say, you know, they'll affirm the five solas. So how are they getting around that when they obviously don't? Well, once again, you know what I said earlier, I don't know whether they're bad theologians or whether they're intentionally deceiving people. Uh, but obviously you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth and, and be a, an honorable person on what you're doing. Uh, and on the one hand, uh, I, I go in depth to show various people who uh, will say, yes, we believe in justification by faith alone, and then turn around and completely deny it. Peter Lightheart being the one that I was most familiar with, uh, but others have done the same thing. Steve Wilkins uh, did this in the various court cases before him and the answers that he gave to things. Uh, so the problem is they say that when they're challenged, but then when they're not challenged, they say the other. Well, in the end, a person cannot believe two different things. It's kind of like what Jesus said about serving God and mammon. He says, you will either serve the one and not the other. You will hate the one and not the other, or love the one and not the other. Uh, and so what I say is, don't listen to them when they 
say, yes, we also believe in that. Listen to what they teach. Listen, read the books that they write and, and make a note of the fact that that represents their true positions. In those books, they don't have chapters where they are, there's not a single Federal Vision person who has written a book and has a chapter in which he lays out the case for justification by faith alone the same way that the Reformed creeds do uh, and John Calvin did and the Reformers did and great Reformed scholars of today do. So what that tells me is that they don't really believe that. But that would be something they would write about and want others to understand. Absolutely. I, I wonder if you could, um, since we're talking about justi- justification by faith alone, um, can we back up a little bit and talk about uh, the definition of grace? I know this is something that goes on a lot in um, the Federal Vision Doctrine is where we're working from different definitions, but using the same term. Can you tell us a little bit, bit about what they do with the doctrine of what grace is? I think the main thing is that they uh, make grace. Typically, Reformed theology has said that there is uh, both special grace and uh, then there is a common grace. And what they do is that they define grace in terms of common grace without using that term. But it's, it's basically an undefined view of grace. They use the term, but they never do anything with it. And, and that is one of my great concerns about a lot of Reformed theology of today, because there are a lot of people that are talking about grace, 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 grace. But they never talk about this grace is the grace of God in the gospel. It's the grace that God showed to us in sending his son to be our savior and our redeemer. Uh, they, they talk about it in a different sense. They talk about uh, having grace in this or grace in that. And, uh, and therefore, uh, they say that if you really understand grace, that you're always going to be a gracious person. And so then they turn it back and make it into a, a work. But Peter, I'll give you a, an example here. Peter Lightheart says this. He says, if grace is the favor of God manifested in the bestowal of favors, then baptism is and confers grace. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Then he continues. He says, the grace of standing in the house of God, the grace of membership in the community of the reconciled, the grace of immersion in the history of the bride of Christ, the grace of God's favorable regard upon us. Now, wherein did he really define grace there? He did not. You know, he tied grace to baptism, but he didn't really define what it is. And his position is that every person who is baptized gets all that grace that God has to give, and they get the same grace as everybody else that is baptized. So there's no difference in the grace. That's what we would call common grace in that God bestows his, he gives his sunshine to the just and the unjust alike. Uh, and that is that they equally share in it. Uh, well, Lightheart says, 
everyone who's baptized equally shares in this grace and this favorable regard that God has towards us. And so baptism is substituted for the work of Christ for our salvation. And so they tie grace to baptism uh, and to this general favor that God is going to have towards you when you uh, become a part of his family through baptism, not through spiritual regeneration, but through baptism. Uh, And so they end up having a very conflicted view of grace. It's, I have not found a federal vision person who makes a clear definition of grace. And that's where they go astray that in regeneration. But as I said a moment ago, there are a lot of other people who are not yet in the federal vision. And one of the reasons they're attracted to it and can work alongside these people is because they have very fuzzy definitions of grace. We remove grace from the, the cross of Christ and the gospel then we have made it fuzzy and undefined. Thank you for joining us for part one on Federal Vision with Dewey Roberts. You don't want to miss next week when we talk more in detail about the views of the sacraments in Federal Vision and some other aspects of Federal Vision. And Angela and I will also do a wrap-up following part two which is slightly shorter. Dewey is offering a special deal on his book for Theology Gals listeners. His book is a hardcover book, and he is offering it for $10 plus $4 shipping and handling, which is a great deal. If you're interested in purchasing the book, you can contact Dewey directly, and I will have his email in the notes of this episode. I also wanted to remind you that there is now Theology Gals merchandise, and I will put a link to that in the episode notes. There are so many different styles and colors of shirts. There's also tote bags and soon-to-be coffee mugs. If you would like to support Theology Gals in our episode notes, there is a link to our Patreon. You can support us just a few dollars a month. Thank you so much for joining us. Definitely tune in next week to hear part two, and we will see you then.